Welcome to KUOW's Speakers Forum. I'm your host, John O'Brien. In this web extra, it's all over the news and social media. A person of color is shot and killed by police. There's a protest and an investigation, then another shooting. What does this seemingly endless cycle say about racism in America? Are these waves of incident and reaction changing us? Are we seeing what's happening, learning from it, and making necessary changes? On July 24th, Speakers Forum recorded an event that sought to answer some of these questions, or at least spark more conversation. The Black Lives in America Healing and Moving Forward discussion was hosted by the crew of the Seattle podcast, Hella Black, Hella Seattle. It took place at the Rhino Room on Capitol Hill as part of a bad will market. Thanks to Bree Ripley for our recording. Please note, this conversation includes unedited language of an adult nature. All right. <laughs> We're doing this. Yay. Okay, so we are Hella Black, Hella Seattle, a podcast creating community for people of color in the city of Seattle. Yeah, so I'm Eula, and I lead the views. <laughs> I'm Elena, and I do restaurant reviews. And I'm Jazz, adding to your weekend plans. And we've set up this panel in response to the most recent police killings. Honestly, what we felt afterwards was kind of like, as people of color, we've done a lot of talking about what happened. And we feel like it's a really good time to start the conversation on the end of white allies and white people that love us and care about us as well. And so we have a fantastic panel that we put together, and they're each going to go across the way and introduce themselves, and then we're going to ask them a handful of questions. And at the end, we're going to ask that you guys participate. If you have questions, you're welcome to join in. And I know that this is a market and we're going to talk, but if we can try to keep it down, we would really love it. Yeah, no harm, no foul. So we're going to start with Matt. Go for it. Uh, my name is Matthew Brasco. Uh, a lot of y'all know me as Slim. I've been, I guess, a staple piece in this neighborhood for quite a while. Um, I got the opportunity to um, join this panel, and I thought any progress um, in regards to what's going on is good progress. So I'm definitely happy to be here and uh, looking forward to your questions. Yeah, we're happy to have you. Hey, my name is Alyssa. I'm a birth doula, uh, satellite 22 years. Um, Eula and I work together, and I love her very much. And I'm, I'm just really glad to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, I'm Jody, and I am faculty at Highline Community College. Um, I teach in the education department, and I also teach in the di uh, diversity and global studies department. I'm originally from Ohio. I'm a Gemini. And... Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, we're happy to have you. Hello, uh, my name is Gerald Elliott. I uh, grew up in Seattle. I went to Garfield with two-thirds two -thirds of Hella Black, Hella Seattle. Um, Elena and uh, Jasmine, while Eula was busy selling her soul to Franklin. Sorry, had to do it. Um, and, uh, I'm feeling different about that statement. Yeah, yeah, sorry about that. Uh, currently a, a high school history teacher in, in government as well. So good. All right, you guys, so we're going to start with our first question. And so this question is, what are your thoughts and feelings on the most recent police killings of Philando Castile and Alton Sterling? Oh, not the... 
how to please make me feel? We're not really going to go in order okay. and everything. Um, oh, gosh, sorry. We changed the no, gosh. Well, some that's, of them are changed. That's, that's one of the heavier ones. I am just, I'm, I'm heartbroken, and I'm completely fed up, and it's almost just, it's too much. I mean, and, and that's why I'm here. Yeah. When I think about that question, there's actually kind of two pieces to that for me. One is, um, what do we think? What do I think about it? Um, and the other is, what do I feel about it? And I think um, oftentimes as a white woman, um, in response to things that are so sad and terrible and enraging, um, we shift to what we think about it and start to analyze it. And so I really appreciated, Yula, when you asked me around what do people feel um, because it's easy to divorce yourself from your feelings of sadness and horror and outrage and sometimes overwhelmed, feeling overwhelmed about it. Um, the, whoa, the most recent killings? Um, what do I think about them? I'm I think about the visuals, I think about watching the videos, I think about um, feeling um, angry and fed up. Um, try to think about what is really behind it, like how did it get to this? Um, I guess that's, that's, the, that's my job, is trying to figure out as a birth doula where, where are people coming from? Why, what are their values? How, did this, how are people choosing to act in the way I work with people in spontaneous primal states? So um, that is what I think about it. Um, I feel um, yeah, hurt, scared. Um, I think it's disgusting. I think it's totally disgusting. And I'll tell you why. Because this has been happening for a long time. Very long time, it's happened countless times, and now we're getting to a point where we can start pushing the conversation, but it's at the expense of people losing their lives. It's like, this has been going on for so long, and now we're saying, because these were videotaped, because this is a thing now, now we can talk about it. And I'm glad that we're at that point, but this should have been happening years ago. Um, that's how I feel about it. What I think about it is you have people being murdered by the police. Not going to sugarcoat it. They're being murdered. It's happening at an alarming rate. It is happening at an alarming rate to black males predominantly. Now, that doesn't mean they're the only ones that are susceptible to this, but look at, look at the coverage, look at the media. That's what we're focusing on because that's the problem. This has systematically been set up hundreds of years, and now we're finally getting to a point to figure out why and how we can move forward. So that's what I think about it. Thank you. Um, so my next question is just, what, what is your history with the police? Um, how do you feel about them? Like how, do, do you feel safe? Do they make you feel safe, personally? 
I can tell you this. I've called the police one time in my life. It's because my house got robbed. The cops showed up and started digging through my stuff, trying to pin something on me. Hate the fucking police. And I can tell you why. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. You're giving basically no rules to these people who deserve the most rules. And every single situation is relative in a cop's mind, and they always think they're doing right. And I can tell you that they're not, because it's a human being. It's fucking terrible. I hate the fucking police, and I'll say that again. I fucking hate the police. Yes. Well, um, I grew up with a cop, um, and I grew up with uh, that impunity in my household, um, and, and I'm a white, very privileged, easily accessing spaces. Do the cops make me feel safe? No. Am I thinking about calling the police is a totally different, I mean, from my upbringing, I already had a feeling about it, but what kind of, what do you set in motion when you're calling the cops? Um, yeah, how, how do, do I feel safe around the cops? No, I mean, I, I, yeah, me personally, probably, they're gonna, they treat me totally differently. Stop me for, you know, tail light out. I've been stopped and let go. Um, yeah. Um, uh, no, I typically avoid the police. The question is, will you repeat the question? I was, I was so moved by your response. Um, what is your history with the police? How do you feel about them, and do they make you feel safe? Um, my history, I grew up white, working class, small farming community. History with the police, too loud. Oh, the history with the police there was that everybody knew each other. Um, and as I've grown, certainly uh, I don't fear the police. I don't have to as a white woman fear, be afraid of the police. The question around do the police make me feel safer, um, yeah, yeah, hell no. I do not feel safer with the police. Um, I don't fear them because I don't have to, again, because of my white privilege, but they do not make me feel safer. I feel like while they are individuals, they as a group, and they need to own that, are terrorizing our communities. Um, and with the increasing militarization of the police, um, the job of the military is to protect the government, to protect the state from individuals. And so the police, in my opinion, are becoming increasingly a group to keep people down here in our communities. Oh gosh, uh, police make me nervous. I, I guess like a lot, I get nervous when they're behind me and I'm driving, but I also realize that it's my anxiety is probably not nearly on the level of others because of all these privilege uh, we previously mentioned. So I could probably say I'm not terrified of police, but I understand others are. 
Um, I was at the WTO in 1999 Seattle, marched out of Garfield, went down there. Uh, it was awesome. I was learning tons about labor unions and um, environmental activism, and then all of a sudden tear gas started appearing out of nowhere and people were getting their asses whooped. So that was scary. Uh, police have terrified me at times, very specifically in that way, and I have seen an increased militarization uh, since the WTO. Back then, they did not have the firepower they do today. This is scary. At the same time, every school I've worked at, you know, Garfield, my current school, I've been on a first-name basis with our officers. I'm not saying we should have officers in schools. That's not my statement. But I always introduce myself to them. And there have been times where some stuff has gone down, and they've helped. So maybe at times I have felt a bit safer because, just to put it out there as a teacher, if something happens to my kids and I'm in the room, I have to protect them. So it's nice knowing that someone's got my back sometimes, too. Yeah. Okay. For our next question, do you have black friends or family that you worry for? And if so, what responsibility do you feel to keep them safe? I have tons of black friends. Uh, love y'all. have tons more. Um, my sister's adopted from Chile, and she's had a baby with a guy who's African-American, Native American, and... I guess that you know it, it shouldn't make you care more, but it's changed the way I think about these things. Having a, a niece who's you know uh, you know black, native, Latin, Black Lives Matter, Natives Lives Matter, and Latin Lives Matter, and I worry about the world we're passing on to my niece. I'm also optimistic about positive change that we're making, and my responsibility is to do everything I can. Definitely, there were people of color in my life, particularly black and brown men, that I'm quite concerned about. In, in terms of my responsibility and what to do about that is to try to promote systemic change, right? To try to argue for, um, if not dismantling the police as an organization for increased citizen oversight, for increased pressure on things like the police union that tend to protect people, individuals um, who are murdering people. Um, and I guess really to attack it from trying to change our systems and trying to change the way that people think um, about not, you know, developing more white anti-racist identity in action. Jasmine, could you repeat the question? Do you have black friends or family that you worry for? And if so, what responsibility do you feel to keep them safe? Uh, yes, I have lots of um, dear friends um, who are of color. And I do worry about them. Um, what's my responsibility? I, uh, my responsibility is to... Uh, really own and dissect my privilege, um, especially when we are together and how I, what role I have um, in protecting that person when I'm with them or just acknowledging the differences and um, the spaces and the, you know, dynamics we're dealing with. I mean, you said it really nicely the other day at KUOW about, you know, I'm going to drive, <laughs> you know, like... 
um, we're going to go go out, I'm going to drive, you know, yeah. that's just a small example of some of the things I have to think about, you know. Um, the other thing that I need to do um, is to talk with the people that I can talk with, other white people, my family, um, and uh, create change in that way. I don't do a good job with not that I shouldn't try, but I don't do a good job with like larger institutions, legislation type of stuff. Just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. But individual conversations, I can do that. I can yeah. interrupt. I can talk. I can ask questions. I can access spaces and conversations that yeah. hopefully will change That's something. Yeah. No, I definitely agree with you. Um, I have a lot of friends, all colors, and I always feel a responsibility to keep everybody that I love safe. Now, as far as responsibility goes, a lot of change needs to happen. And it's, it's, it's a lot. And how we do that is we take small steps. Like she said, we start conversations, we open dialogues, and we start reaching out to people. Small circle, larger circle, that creates a ripple effect. I guess that's all I really have to say about that, but I think every one of us should have a responsibility towards everyone else to try to keep everybody safe. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, do you have friends or family that you would consider racist? And if so, have you talked with them about any of the police killings? And how do those conversations look? I know this because I have Facebook. Right. Right. But Facebook is such a divisional thing, right? You don't have to have that face-to-face -face conversation through that outlet. Well, I can tell you this. All lives matter. That's racist. Right. Blue lives matter. That's racist. Thank you, Matt. Yeah. I can open that up in detail. Blue lives matter. Yeah, you're right. Cops' lives, yeah, they matter. We know they matter because when they kill us, they get sent home, paid, paid leave. Yeah. They collect checks while they kill us. Okay, yeah, cops' lives matter. But Blue Lives Matter didn't even come about until the Black Lives Matter movement in right. direct opposition. Yes. Direct opposition. Okay. So basically, it's a justification of these people are being killed by these people, but these people killing them, their lives matter too. It's racist. Right. It's racist. That's all I got to say. Do you have conversations with, do you have friends or family that you would think are racist? No. Yeah. No, not, not my family. Um, I was raised to be a conscious thinker, to not see color, to not see creed, to not see any of that. Right. But do you see color now? In the literal sense, yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's what it is, right? Yeah. Yeah. But, but it's just human. that. We're all human. Yeah, I appreciate that. Uh, so, as I mentioned, I grew up with a cop, white, um, and, uh, I mean, do I consider them racist? I mean, I consider all white people racist on one level, so yeah, um, that includes myself. So, um, I I'm not going to focus on that if I'm going to talk with these people, right? because <laughs> that's not going to go anywhere. So. 
Um, but yeah, I do. I, I have people that, I mean, I grew up, my dad was from a very small town in Texas, and we would go for Christmas every year. And I couldn't wait to get the hell out of there, you know? And I didn't, I didn't know why. I couldn't wait to get the hell out of there. But yeah, all this, that, it's, it's in the bones. It's in the blood, you know, um, from a lot of my family, for sure. Yeah. Do I have friends? Mm. Blood and friends. <laughs> Different, right? Yeah. yeah. I'm Very focused on my family right now. Um, yes, absolutely. I want to agree with what Alyssa said. What Alyssa said, I think all white people are racist because I look at racism from a structural standpoint. I think that I was enculturated to be racist. I think what I encounter here most in Seattle and with the people that I know is this sort of I'm liberal and I think that we're all the same and yet there's this subtle racism that comes through. And I think Matt really, it's Matt, right? I think Matt really named that when he called out the All Lives Matter movement. That's the biggest thing that I hear that I get in conversations with about um, why that's racist, why that's inappropriate. Um, but that is from good, well-meaning white people who think that they're not racist, much like myself. I think we have to always keep doing our own work. It's a lifelong process. So does that answer, does that answer the question? Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess I, I may have friends who are racist. I, maybe plenty of friends who have stereotypes. Definitely tons of white folks with stereotypes. And I guess I'd have to do a concept formation on like what is true racism and what stereotypes are concept formation social studies um it's what we do uh definitely family because it's harder to turn family away than a friend when they're racist uh and yes i got into it with the family member on facebook matt <laughs> uh about all lives matter believe it or not and as a also a family member from texas coincidence i think not um <laughs> So, yeah, uh, I responded, because you want specifics of how the conversation went. I, I said, um, I think that's like saying the Westboro Baptist Church represents Christianity. Oh, sorry, he, he said Black Lives Matter is an extremist group now, very terrorist, after the shootings in um, uh, Dallas. And I responded with, yes, but that doesn't represent Black Lives Matter. That's one, that's one extremist, or you can't generalize thousands of people. That's like Westboro Baptist Church. I thought that would resonate because he's a Christian. And, or ISIS represents Islam. You're just overgeneralizing one extreme event. You cannot group these people together. Was there a second part to the question? Wait, wait. Let's see. No, I think I'm done. <laughs> no, it was just, you know, have you talked with them and do you think those conversations, how do the conversations look? That was great. Yeah. I think it went well. I'm not sure if I convinced him, but hopefully I tried. We, we dropped each other on Facebook for a while, but at least we talked to each other now and it's, it's interesting as a social studies teacher to get that perspective because I think we live in Seattle's liberal bubble and because I teach politics, I at least want to hear those thoughts even if I don't necessarily agree with them. Um, so do you feel that you have to take a stand on the current state of police brutality? Like, do you feel like if you are silent in these matters that, um, that you don't have a, you know, that you're not taking a stand? 
yes, definitely have to take a stand if I'm. Uh, yeah, if you're silent, you're you're with the oppressor. Um, there's oppression going on, and it's nothing new. Uh, you know, we had hundreds of years of slavery, then Jim Crow, then what Michelle Alexander calls the new Jim Crow with the war on drugs. This isn't new. What's new is cameras showing us, white people, that it's happening. Um, so, yes, we must take a stand until uh, every cell phone video we see is positive interactions. Yeah, keep taking stands. Yes. I think morally and ethically as a human being, um, we all need to take a stand against the racism in our community and the militarization of the police. Um, I think on an individual level, it's important to challenge things. You know, I'm in this kind of informational void because I don't tweet or Instagram or anything like that. So I'm finding I need to hook up with some better information sources because I also feel like as a white woman, I need to go out and show my physical support more for what's going on yes. in the community, right? Thank you. The thing is, is I need to take and use this, for me, I need to use this white skin that I have to support and be um, in collusion with my friends and colleagues of color. Um, to help create change on that level. And then I think, like I mentioned, institutional change. So as somebody who's middle class, right, writing and pushing legislation, pushing for greater systems at the same time. Uh, hell yeah. Um, <laughs> need to take a stand. Yeah. Um, how to do that? Uh, can I expand your question <laughs> and answer how? Um, yeah. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I constantly struggle with, you know, capacity versus privilege, um, physical versus silent, and, you know, um, like, I, I hear that, like, physically being seen and hearing me talk about it for other white people and hearing me fuck up or mess up, pardon me, K-O-W, um, Sorry. <laughs> yeah, okay. He said it. He, he started it. <laughs> um, so I, I, I want to do, like, what is going to be most powerful for me that I know. I know myself pretty well now in my 40s, you know. I need to talk with people one-on-one. -on -one. I need to... I'm good at putting people together. I'd like to, like, hold a salon or something in my house for white people to come and talk about things, give people some questions. You know, I don't know. I'm just thinking, like, what is it that I need to do? Yeah. But, but I, I, have, like, I have a hard time going and being in big groups of people. I've done a lot of marching, mm -hmm. but I really I'm, I need to talk more about what that actually is. Because yes. that's it's something I think, well, what does it do? But I, I need to hear more about why should I march? So tell me why I should march. I, other white people. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yes, I think it's very important to take a stand, especially in something that you don't believe in. It's like, I heard a long time ago that a closed mouth doesn't get fed. So if you look at racism... It's very important to take a stand because what if those people that don't have mouths 
you got to speak for them. And that's exactly what's happening right now. You have a lot of people that are really upset with what's going on, and no one is taking them serious. So that's why, again, when I got invited uh, to, to speak up here, me being white male, I thought maybe my voice would be taken a little bit serious as opposed to, like he said earlier, they were talking about um, the, the whole Black Lives Movement. They, uh, they characterize, would you say, an, a terrorist, an extremist? Come on now. It's very important to take a stand. So do you guys have thoughts on how we collectively can move forward in America? Again? So do you guys have thoughts on how we co can collectively move forward in America? Do you yeah, guys definitely. believe that's possible? It is possible, but it's extreme. And here's why it's extreme. We need to start change within ourselves. And to quote Gandhi, you need to be the change that you want to see. Okay. That's how it starts on a small level. On a larger level, the police that are committing these infractions and the system that is behind all of this, that needs to be punished. You have people doing what they want without consequence. To move forward, we need people like that to be held responsible for yes. their actions. Yes. And until they are, they're creating their own ripple effect, which shows the other people that are going to do the same things that they're doing that that's okay. Yes. And that's not okay. No. And hopefully, like I said, we can start dialogues, we can start conversations, we can start peaceful protests. There's a lot of different things we can do, but it needs to start here, and hopefully on a larger scale, it'll get to where it needs to be. So, yes, um, I think that we can move forward. We're going to move forward, right? Um, I think it's probably going to get worse before it gets better. Um, or worse, I'm not sure if worse or more out in the open. I think there's a trend for people speaking their minds, which might help in the long run and hurt in the short run. And echoing, it starts here. It starts right here. It continues here, you know. Um, and, and it doesn't... It, examining white fragility and what is keeping somebody from learning and hearing, um, like that, that image. We're very image conscious. A lot of us are very image conscious, and I, I think that that's part of where we're starting, of letting that down. And saying people are being brutally murdered families are being torn apart every single freaking day like is that enough for you to stop being so worried about how you sound like what is enough for you to stop and and get involved like Again, like everyone else said, it, I believe it starts with relationships. And for me, as a white person, those are, well, first, doing my own work, 
right? Digging up my own stuff so that I can be in authentic relationships, um, not just with people of color, but with other white people. I think a lot of people in, who are doing uh, racial justice who are white um, separate themselves from people who they have deemed oppressive and unworthy. And I think what that does is that leaves people of color to deal with those problematic white people. So I think that white folks who want to do this work, we need to get our shit together and we need to step it up with other white people. And then we need to act in tandem with communities of color and we need to listen. Seriously, white folks, could we shut the fuck up for a minute and listen? Thank you, please. (laughs) Really. Everybody in the back. You know? And and on top of that, I don't mean like for us to sit on our ass and wait for um, black folks to educate us, but at the same time, listen. Thank you. Listen and believe what's happening. And then act. Because to not act, one thing, Matt, when you were talking, I don't want to take up too much time, but when he was when you were talking about like how all of these people are thinking about it, right? And kind of like there's this group you know, Black Lives Matter, who's causing this stir. Well, part of the problem with, like, this whole system and the way BLM's being viewed is that there's a lot of quiet-ass white people who think it's a problem but aren't willing to really go out and do anything about it. So it leaves this group hanging out there by themselves. So I think solidarity, educating ourselves, relationships, I think those are the ways we're going to be able to move forward. Nice work. Can I, can I echo some of that? Work in tandem with communities of color and listen? Seriously, that's, that's amazing. Um, collectively move forward. I mean, we need action. You said you have no social media. No, that's, that's, that's awesome, because we have to get active. And what I see on social media a lot is white liberals sharing an MLK Jr. meme and then probably going to bed feeling okay that they're doing something. Um, yeah, if you're, not, if you're not getting active, then those words were falling on deaf ears. I mean, give me a break. Uh, but yeah, how do we collectively... It's, it's many facets. Uh, culture, we have to transform culture. The, how it, the media portrays African Americans. I think there's another question that deals with this, so I'll, I'll hold off a bit, but we've got to change those conversations. Uh, economics, support black business. Love uh, Osiris and Badwell Market for supporting today. This is yes, important. thank you, Osiris. Um, and education, just, you know, the, I, that's what I'll say more about because it's more my specialty. We have got to educate folks, you know, about this history and, and continue to listen. When I first started teaching African-American history, it's tough as a white male teacher. It's tough teaching feminist history. It's tough, tough teaching uh, homosexual history because I am from every privileged group in the world. Um, but I have to listen to get better. And I touched in with my black students once, like, how am I doing? Cause I, I'm really trying to show oppression. And they were like, yeah, but you only talk about oppression and slavery and bad stuff. Can we get some positive, like, stories? And that just changed my whole, like, okay, so you've got to teach oppression, and that's almost more for the white folks in the class. But you have to give positive stories as well. So continue to learn and work together and educate. Well, first off, we want to thank you four for being a part of the panel. Thank you. And we want to thank everybody for coming out. Um, 
We do have a little bit of time left, and we want to open the floor for questions. So does anybody have a question? If you do, please raise your hand and come grab the mic. Thank you. So rather than a question, I actually have a comment. Um, I know that we're all here today to have a conversation and a discussion, and that's really important. But when I have had conversations like this with my friends and counterparts, oftentimes people want to know, well, what can we do and what's next? And so I wanted to tell you guys about, um, I wanted to tell you guys about um, a group called Not This Time. And basically there's an initiative um, that we're trying to get on the books, basically, that will make it so that more police officers um, that are engaged in deadly use of force crimes can actually be prosecuted. Um, I don't know if you know, but um, Washington has some of the most regressive laws with regard to being able to actually prosecute police officers. Um, and so basically we're trying to get 250,000 signatures in order to um, put a law on the books that will remove the requirement to prove um, that malice is in their heart because that's virtually impossible to prove. And so that's why in so many instances police officers aren't ever prosecuted. Um, and so this group meets every Wednesday from 6 to 8 at the Seattle Vocational Institute. I do have some flyers with me if you would like to attend the meetings or get more involved. In addition, I also have a signature sheet um, where you can provide your signature. And the only requirement would be that you are a registered voter in the state of Washington. So, thank you. Um, my question for the panel is sometimes when we have these conversations about race, I feel like people of color are a lot more comfortable talking about race than white people are. And so especially when I'm talking on Facebook, which is not a great way to talk to people about race, I'm wondering how do you have these conversations when there's that pushback and then the feelings get hurt and then sometimes it feels like it doesn't go anywhere. So I want to know, have you... Have you used any phrases that you find to be successful in being able to educate people without shutting down the conversation? Thank you. Yes. So in order to start that conversation, you have to define white privilege to people. Because white privilege doesn't necessarily mean that you're built, born with the silver spoon and that you have this golden key to the city. That's not it. It just means that you're a lot less likely to be murdered by the police. So a lot of people, when they hear, a lot of white people, when they hear white privilege, they get really upset because they feel like, like I said, they're, they're being assumed to just have like this golden run at things. That's not always the case. Sometimes it is. Don't get me wrong. But not always. So in order to start a conversation with those people, you need to start by breaking that down so they understand that they're not being lumped into that. They're not being attacked for that but they need to realize that it's a thing. We all know white privilege is a thing. Yes. And that they're benefiting from it, right? It, I feel like it's also important uh, to just let them know that like, we're not attacking them for it, but they are benefiting from it. Yeah, exactly. white privilege. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, the thing is, is me, the way that I look, I don't get my white privilege. But I also chose that. You know what I mean? I wasn't born like that. I chose to look this way. Does this make sense? You see what I'm saying? Okay. 
So yeah, uh, in education, I found when I talk to white students, it really helps to say white privilege doesn't necessarily need or must not lead to white guilt. If you feel guilty, that's what are you doing? Stop feeling sorry for yourself. Um, it should lead to white awareness. And yeah, I think understanding for me the difference between being a part of an institutional and systemic problem and me being an individual who makes my own actions was huge as a white person and it was enough to start me understanding that I have a part in it but I didn't necessarily choose to be in it you know what I mean like it was a safe way so I think that that is one thing that is a, a that I would start with personally and the other thing is bringing it super personal so I have a friend and this is what happens to them this is what happened to them and this is why and this is what, what's going on there and then asking a question like bringing it super personal so people can't say yeah but well that only you know you know what, and I just want to add, I think everybody had really good comments, but I just want to add that sometimes we need to, like, stop being so freaking worried about white people's feelings. I mean, seriously, really. Sometimes we just need to not worry about that and be, let our pain and our rage and our anger out and call people up short. You know, white people, we're used to being comfortable, and so when we're not comfortable, we think there must be something wrong. You know, and I tell people, I'm like, you're not, nobody's hurting you, right? You're all right. You know, people of color are uncomfortable all the time, all the time. And so, you know what, that white person, I'm like, I expect you to sit there and be fucking uncomfortable for like five minutes while we have this conversation, you know, five minutes, be uncomfortable about how fucked up everything is. Sorry, I'm cursing a lot now. It's fucked up. Yes. Thank you. I'm uh, grateful to participate in this event. I think that it's, um, as, as a black male, I'm the number one terrorist threat in the United States of America. So I think it's important that uh, we at least hear one black man speak today. Um, I, I've been looking at a lot of the narratives that have been generated around Black Lives Matter and the, the guy who shot somebody in Dallas. You know, he shot, supposedly shot some people in Dallas. We didn't get to find out because they blew him up. But anyway, so I think for me, before I get to my question, I think one of the things that is the most scary to white people in this country is that they are, you guys are afraid that one day black men and women and other people of color are going to do for 500 years what has been done to us. And so to challenge a system that supports you is almost counterintuitive and so one of the things that I like to ask people is what is it that, you know, aside from, you know, having these very emotional conversations, what are you doing? Because, I mean, like myself, I've been trying to start a black bank drive in Washington State for the last year and a half. And I get a lot of pushback from not only black people, but white people, Asian people. You know, when you go to Chinatown or Koreatown or whatever you call it, they don't have a problem having their own banks. And so for me, it's seeing what other than having uncomfortable conversations people are doing, and unfortunately, there doesn't seem to be a lot of anything, because petitions don't work. 
laws don't work because they'll just pass a federal law that supersedes, you know, like look, they just passed a police protection act on the federal level and yet we're trying to pass a state level legislation. So unfortunately that's not going to do anything. So what is it that other than having these uncomfortable conversations, are you guys doing that really challenges the social narrative that black men are violent, that all black people are aggressive and because I can tell y'all probably uncomfortable. I mean, it, I'm, I'm not the person who should be probably answering this because I'm going to make people uncomfortable, but that's just, I have to. So, thank you. So to sum up what you're saying, you're saying besides the conversation, what's the next step? Okay. But you have to understand that people don't go home and have conversations very often. I think that that's one of the ironic things that we do as people of color, but a lot of white people kind of, they leave it to Facebook. They leave it to us. And so I think just starting the conversation is going to be amazing. Could you imagine? No, not comments on Facebook. I mean, people go home for the holidays and talk about racism. People sit there and they say, I have a friend that's dying, that I'm afraid will die, that I see on TV. And I think to myself, Eula, Jasmine, Elena could be Sandra Bland. I think those kinds of conversations are really impactful. I think they kind of touched on it, but I'm going to ask them anyways. Any ideas besides a conversation? Well, I'm checking in with my internal dialogue every day so that, you know, I'm not going to stay in my car if you walk past me when I park. You know what I mean? I'm going to get out. And I'm, but I'm not going to like, hi, how are you? Like, I'm all awkward. Like, but I'm going to disrupt that thought in my head that has been handed to me so that I'm just acknowledging what, what has... I don't know. I just, I don't, it's not, I guess I'm not trying to think about it too much, but I'm re, I'm listening to the narrative in my head and I'm noticing what I've been taught and I'm, and it, a lot of it is around black men with me. So I'm, I'm just tuning in and trying to, to make different choices. I don't, I'm not always going to get that right, but. Uh, I'm going to black-owned businesses, yeah, restaurants, yeah, yeah. buying things, sharing those resources with other people. If I go on a uh, coffee date, I'm going to the station. I'm going to um, anywhere in a lot of places in the CD. You know, like I'm—I mean, that, I'm going actively seeking those places out. I'm not going to Fresh Flowers on Beacon Hill, although I don't really know who owns that, but. I'm, I don't really want to go there. Like, it's not... I'm going to support the local business. That's, I'm doing my homework, trying to actively... We're going to move on to the next question. Hey, everyone. So my question kind of piggybacks off that and is dealing with reparations. And I don't know if you guys heard about that website someone made where you can actually give tangible reparations to people of color. And so I want to bring that up. So, like, what do you guys... If there were services, is there money... If it's giving your apartment in the CD back to people who live there, what forms of reparations can be given back so that, you know, all this talk can actually be reality? Because there are very tangible ways. We like to think of it as something that's, like, very highbrow and just conversations. But, no, there's, like, literal things you can do, you know? And 
until that actually, if till that's the conversation, you know, then we're not actually going to see any change. So, yeah, let's talk about that. I'm all for it. Uh, okay. You know, a lot of Jews got it after World War II. Uh, it, Japanese Americans got it after internment. That was horrible. Slavery was worse. Yeah. It was worse. And they haven't, not to downplay any of the other atrocities. Sorry, don't take this out of context, but it's, it's horrible, and it must be paid back. And, yeah, I love the idea of reparations. I have heard of that. It's like kind of the mini-loan funding program. I'm all down for that. I think we should actually do it through legislation. I think that should happen first on a, or it, it will happen first on a municipal level. Right. Hopefully in, like, liberal cities like Seattle and San Francisco, and then maybe something could take off. Um, and sorry, could I just, like, one thing on the previous question about what can be done, one thing that kind of scares me about Seattle and how we're changing is there's less interactions between people of color and white people. Yeah. When I grew up in the early 90s, they bust us around. I grew up on white-ass Queen Anne, and the right. only reason I met all these cool people is because they took me out of that bubble. And now Seattle's becoming wider, and we ended busing. So I think it's not just busing, it's in we need to have interactions with each other so all of a sudden white people see that these media stereotypes aren't true. Yeah. Oh, a big black man is uh, not a scary individual. They're a magician or a jokester or whoever the hell they are. They're a black yeah. man. Yeah, they're human. For real. So as a birth doula, um, one thing I'm uh, concretely doing and have been doing for three to four years is I only work with people of color and or queer and or trans people, um, specifically. So that means I am actively not working with white people. Yeah. Um, so, and I'm vocal about that. And, um, and that, that leads to a lot of interesting conversations. Um, so I think that taking your place of expertise um, and just opening it up, um, I, I, I lead just in, in a kind of a shadow model, so it's not like I think everybody has to do it my way, because there's certainly a lot of, we can go down that road of like, there's lots of different ways to have, be a birth doula for different narratives. But offering up the skills that I have and sharing them with people of color specifically and being really vocal about it, I think is active. And it has brought me community. It has brought, it, it's just, it's a huge part of, a, a drop that has ripple effect. Yeah. So you guys, we're going to wrap up now. We're all going to join them on stage real quick for hugs and love and maybe a photo or two. And we're done. So if you guys would like to connect with the people on the panel at any time, you can reach out to them. They're going to be here kind of wandering around. You're welcome to say words to them. We're going to be here too. We really appreciate all of you guys for coming out. And we really appreciate Hello Black, Hello Seattle. Oh, thank you. That's it for this web extra from Speakers Forum. Black Lives in America, Healing and Moving Forward was a Badwill Market event hosted by the team of the Hella Black, Hella Seattle podcast. It took place at Capitol Hill's The Rhino Room on July 24th. Thanks again to Bree Ripley for our recording. Tune in again soon.